All right, welcome. One thing that we, or I discovered, on Easter when you have a lot of more people, and it's warm outside, it gets warmer in here, so we're going to turn the fans on. Um, Craig, you mind open a few of those windows there, and we'll get some of those open up over there, and I think the cool air from the outside will do the job. So welcome, glad to be here. I am excited to um, fellowship with everybody. In the church, there's a, a tradition when the pastor says he has risen, uh, the congregation says he has risen indeed, and I feel like it's, it's been tried a couple of times this morning, but it's not with any gusto, so he has risen. He is risen Amen. And praise God for that. Everything hinges on, on the resurrection. When it comes to Christianity, if we don't have the resurrection, we do not have Christianity. And as we come together with everything said and done, that's everything depends on Jesus and everything of Jesus depends on the resurrection. And so that's where we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to look at, at some of the evidences in the text that we find in John. Because if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are called the synoptic gospel, gospels. They're basically the same story told to a different audience. So we're talking the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks. John comes in and fills in some of those details, and that's one reason why I appreciate uh, the Gospel of John. He gives some of the early ministry, and then he gives some of the details in the resurrection that we may not find otherwise. So our main point today, where we're going, and Craig's like, I don't know where we're going because you have my bulletin. So I'm going to give that back to him now. Thanks. Yeah, that was a shocking experience there. Whew. Yeah, let some of that humidity in too because whoo, I just got zapped. So we are in John chapter 20, and Jesus looks at our spiritual bindings as an opportunity for us to depend on him through our obedience. Will you trust him today? When Jesus sees our adversity, he sees an opportunity for us to, to depend on him. And a lot of times we want to take that adversity and we want to fight under it and hang on to our own strength, our own power to tackle that job. And that's not what Christ calls us to do this morning. And when we're faced with a challenge that we've never been able to or will never be able to conquer, a.k.a. Jesus' death, what are we going to do when it comes to the resurrection? So the resurrection, we're going to start reading in John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. If you have the red Bibles in front of you, those are the, the NLT that you may want to grab. That's where I'm going to be reading out of this morning. Early on Sunday morning, hey, Sunday morning. That's why we go to church, right? It's Sunday morning. So early on Sunday morning, this is why we do it, because of the resurrection happened on Sunday morning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out of the tomb, started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the other disciples, which we know as John, um, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped 
looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, and we know Simon Peter. He arrived and went right inside. He also noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. As the then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For until, that, until then, he hadn't understood the, the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then they went home. Now that seems like it happened all in about five seconds. And I'm sure that happened over the process of at least a half an hour. If you go from the beginning when, when Mary ran and came back, we're talking probably two hours of time has happened in this, in this thing. But what have we discovered? We discovered that Jesus is alive. And he will be, never die again that we know. That's why we put our faith in Jesus. So now we look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. We find that Jesus had the stone rolled away by God the Father. God the Father rolled the stone away. So this is where we come to the point in John chapter 20. With the stone rolled away, Mary comes on the scene and she's like, somebody stole Jesus' body. And she immediately runs off to tell the others. In John chapter 20, verse 2, we have an empty tomb. Mary was one of the first on the scene. We find out from the other Gospels there was a group of women. They come up to the tomb with, with the others, and they, they see the stone has been moved. The women presume someone has moved the body, and in her despair, Mary runs to tell the disciples that the body is gone. This is a big deal. It's a big deal indeed. And we don't know where they put him. We can't find traces. There is a mystery. You need to come look. Peter and John, they take off for the tomb. We know John runs on ahead. How do you know that that's John, the other disciple? How do you know that? Well, we have three other accounts that allow us to know that John and Peter ran off and those things. We also know from John's gospel, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved, which is very similar to the other disciple we know that this is John from other uh, texts, okay? So we don't really know if it was his youth that allowed him to get ahead of Peter or the fact that Peter's heart was heavy. Maybe he came to the realization that I denied Jesus three times. They can't find his body. And he started putting two, to, two together. And he realized that I just denied the king of kings. And that may have slowed him down a bit. A lot of people believe that Peter or that John was younger anyway, but Peter, remember, he had denied Jesus three times. And now we're going to observe something. I want you to notice how many times we see the words that, res that revolve around sight when it comes to verses 5 through 8. And I'm going to point them out now. Now, you'll see the two disciples running to the tomb in verses 3 and 4. John was the first there, and in verse 5, he stooped, and he looked. It'd be like this. He'd come up to the tomb, he looked in, and came back. How do we know that? Because the Greek word, the English term for it would be blip. He saw a blip. Um, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and maybe he only saw the head covering at that point, and he didn't see the whole thing. He just saw 
there's something wrong. That's where we left Jesus. I was there, most likely. Um, I don't know at this point, but he was definitely on the cross with Jesus. And he was definitely dead. They definitely washed a dead man. Where's, where's he at? He looked in. This, and I think this describes a lot of people that, go to ch- that don't go to church. They look in from the outside, and they want to see Jesus. Do they see the Messiah in his followers? You see, we set examples, Christians, of what it means to know Jesus. Do you live your life like you love a risen Savior? Or do you live your life like everybody else? Is your testimony looking like anybody else's that has problems? And so we clearly see that Jesus is there or is not there in this case, right? So Jesus is not there, and whether John is waiting for Peter before entering, you know, there's Roman soldiers around. There's things that could go wrong. If he goes in, he doesn't have anybody covering his back. And so Peter comes in. He's the leader. He goes in and rushes in, right? Maybe John's just trying to take it all in. What does this mean? What, what have I got going on here? The stone, how was it moved? Maybe he's looking at the details on the outside, knowing Peter's going to go in. Verse 6, Peter, on the other hand, he goes right in, and he noticed another Greek word for, for sight. He noticed. He took in the details. This means to look intently. And what did he see? He noticed that the linen wrappings lying there undisturbed. In verse 7, he noticed Jesus' head cover was folded up. It was tightly rolled is what that means in the Greek as well. Almost after to say, I'm finished. Using this, he, the first, so he, he looks at uh, the other wrapping and he knows it's just a shell. If someone took Jesus' body, well, why wouldn't they take the cloth as well? Who is going to unwrap a dead man, right? Nobody. Nobody's going to remove those spices, trust me. Um, why would the cloth be untouched? The head cloth is tightly wrapped. It comes along like to say that it was touched. This was not done by man. It wasn't done by a dead man. It was done by someone, and it points to someone being alive. He's done in this room. I'm going to leave. Almost to say, it's not needed anymore. Is Jesus going to die again? No. He doesn't need those grave clothes. In verse 8, John finally comes in and he sees what Peter sees. By the word we, we find in the Greek, it means to perceive in detail. John goes in, he studied the outside, he takes the investigation into the tomb. He wants to know. Remember, this tomb has never been used before. It's only been used by Jesus, whether he was sitting on the, laying on the ground or, or if they built a shelf for him to lay on. We don't know, but he was there in the tomb, and he sees the evidence of a risen Savior. Because he says he saw and he believed. John was able to put two in together. However, in in verse 9, it says they still didn't quite understand the scriptures. John is starting to put it together. His belief, I believe, is starting to come. that He understands what, um, what Jesus meant by being a Messiah. So turn back with me for a minute 
to Matthew chapter 28 and look at verses 5 and 6. And I want you to notice the conversation that the angel has with the women when they come to the tomb. In verse 5, it reads like this. Then the angel spoke to the women. He says, do not be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he has said he would happen. And then he says, come see where his body was lying. In the past tense, it's not lying there anymore. Come and see. Come and see. Notice and observe. Okay? Look intently. Take in the detail. Remove all the doubt. Jesus is alive. The only thing that we have here that we observe is a risen Savior. So what do we see? Jesus saw, we see Jesus' burial clothes. If you flip back to John 20, skip up a couple verses to chapter 19, verse 40. It says, we see this burial custom talked about. It says, following the Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. Now, the Jewish burial custom, let's face it, folks, they didn't have a freezer to put him in, right? So when it, someone dies, it is time to take care of that body, right? It's time to wrap him up, get the spices on, and get him someplace so he can decay, and then we can go back and look at him, right? They were, I would say, pretty close to professionals when it comes to taking care of dead bodies. Where did they learn that from? They learned it in Egypt, who were the professionals. They were the professionals. We know that today, right? They still pre preserve um, bodies today. That's how Jesus would have been wrapped. He'd have been mummified, in a sense, and he would have had his arms pulled up to his chest, tied around the wrist, and wrapped to hold his arms down. Same with his legs. They would have been tied at the ankles and tied around through. So you think about this. He would have had been washed, they would have got him off the cross. They washed his body. Is there any doubt that Jesus is alive or dead? No, he's dead. They've been working with his body. They know what a dead man is. They added the spices. They wrapped or bound Jesus' body, wrapping his ankles, his arms, and wrapping his jaw with a separate piece around his, his head. Like a mummy, this is the Jewish burial custom. For more details on that, we can look back at John chapter 11, where they talk about it a little bit with Lazarus. Lazarus was bound hand and foot. And when Jesus tells him to come out of the grave, he says, loose his grave clothes and let him go. This guy is coming out of the grave like this. There's no way to get out of this. You can't get out of a straitjacket that they put him in which is a miracle in itself because Lazarus' tomb, they know which, where Lazarus' tomb is even today. There's not really a dispute because there's not a ton of tombs in Bethany. It was a big deal. There's a big crowd. They preserved this tomb. They know, they know it's Lazarus' tomb. If you go to Lazarus' tomb and you go down into Lazarus' tomb, it's about a 45-degree angle to get 
into Lazarus' tomb. So it has like an inner room and then an, another room that goes down. And in the, the picture I saw, there was a lady. She was about, oh, we'll say she's five foot five. There's another lady down in the hole, and she was, her feet were at the other gal's head. So for somebody to hop out of that, it's probably nearly impossible. Could you imagine how Lazarus came out of that tomb? Supernaturally, that's how he came out of that tomb, right? Unwrap him, loose him, and let him go. Jesus says, let him go. Death no longer has power over this man. Let him go. In John 20, verse 8, Jesus saw, and, or John saw, and he believed. He looked at the details. He could see the undis- undisturbed fold, folded head cloth, or he could see the undisturbed cloth, and then he could see the folded head cloth. The spices are still in the undisturbed cloth across the body. Do you leave the spices? How do you separate the spices from the person unless the person came up through the cloth supernaturally like Jesus did? The wrapping's still there. Whether, you know, if they used any resin at all, it would have been, it would have stayed in form. You could have seen Jesus' form in there. They could recognize that this was Jesus' body in there. If it wasn't, it would have collapsed down on itself and you could still tell that it was Jesus. This is the hands of Joseph of Arimathea that put this man in here. We know that we recognize the spices. We smelled them before we took them. We know there's things that they knew. And then they see the same things there minus the body. Wow. Amazing. Friends, do you know what this means? It means Jesus is alive. He didn't die again. He ascended into heaven. He is still with us today. He is our risen Savior, and he sent his Holy Spirit to be in our hearts, to live with us, okay? He rose right through those grave clothes. Praise God. And he looks at our spiritual bindings today as an opportunity for us to depend on him through our obedience, Will you trust him today? Well, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what life is, is thrown at me. And you're, like, you're right, I don't. But I know somebody that can throw things at life. He's my risen Savior. And he can win over all those things. So what's some application? Let's let the rubber meet the road here, pastor. What you got for me? Well, when we are new in Christ, we reflect Christ's characteristics, do we not? And if we don't reflect Christ's characteristics, dare I say, you're not new in Christ. That's a tough one to hear for Christians. It's a tough one for hearing as pastors, too. Ah. So, here's a question. Can we put others' needs before ourselves? Can we put others' needs before ourselves? We've, I've had some great examples of this in my mother and my grandmothers, both. They were great servants of their families. And I turned and I searched for someone who would be that kind of servant for my family as well. Though it's not easy to serve, it's definitely a choice, is it not? 
is a choice to serve your family. And it demonstrates to our children, our spouses, that they matter. And that's important. We can do that to one another. We can choose to serve one another. We can choose to serve this community. And we see that it is important to do so. If we, we can see that example in our fathers as well. If we are alive in Christ because he is in us, we need to die or put to death our old habits. If Christ is in us, he will change our habits. There will be conviction when we watch the TV or the internet. Oh my, you're going to go there, Pastor. Yes, those TikTok videos are not always healthy. Like, I don't watch TikTok videos. I don't even know the dances. Uh I'm a junior high volleyball coach. I know all the dances. I can't do them for you, but I've seen them all. And some of them are like, oh boy, we'll pray for that one. Right? So there's a principle I like to put into effect. It's called look to the left principle. Right? Look to the left. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you see something in front of you that is not good, it's not pleasing to the Lord... Then you look to the left, and that way you're not staring at the thing you don't, shouldn't be seeing in the first place, right? If you see a temptation in front of you, you look to the left. If you, if you have a temptation there, maybe it's a desire to steal, a desire to drink, a desire to um, succumb to that temptation, a desire to stare at that TV a little too long while that scene's on there, you look to the left, you hit the mute button. You let it go. Self-control through the Spirit of God allows us to win the little battles. And when we win and we trust in the little battles, He will be there for us in the big battles too. Amen? Self-control. Or, I've also seen Christians today who say they're saved, but they're running around in their old grave clothes, old patterns, Old habits, they die hard. We need to be intentional, intentional, it's a new word, intentional about change. About change. Guard your heart and look to the left. Here are a couple examples. Here's a couple I picked out this week. My wife says I, I, I hit my two regulars too many times, so I went and I, and I uh, came up with two new ones. So here's two examples. One, laziness. Like all sin, it starts with excuses. Oh, I'll do that in a little bit. I'll do that tomorrow. You know, an apple would be nice. I'm not really feeling good. Oh, oh I got the pain in my shoulder, or whatever it may be. We, we come up with all the excuses, Right? I'll do it tomorrow. And then it moves into justification. It was probably a good thing I didn't do it today because I would have been worn out for what I need to do tomorrow. Now that Not thinking that I'm going to have to do that and the thing I need to do tomorrow and I'll be wore out for Wednesday or whatever it may be, right? Or so we get along into the it for a while. Maybe we're in a certain thing for a while and then we stop or we don't start altogether. We usually start going around and we tell people, we start justifying why we're doing this and say, well, I could have done that yesterday, but I thought maybe it'd be better if I did it today. The temperature's a little bit better today. 
or things of that nature. Or this is just the way I am, and this is the way it's going to be. But deep down, we know we could be better, don't we? Why, why would the guilt be there if we know we could be better? I'm a better, harder worker than this, or, or what maybe in today's... Some, some days, guys, we just need to take a break, but it is every single day that we are taking a break, and this is different than depression, right? Depression is something that needs need help to get out of as well. So maybe it's something that starts off with gusto. You start off with a new job, and then we start getting tired all the time. It's hard to go to work. It's an attitude that is easy to get into. Oh, I got to go to work. It's a Monday, right? We choose our attitude. We choose how Mondays are going to be, don't, don't we? Yes or no? Yeah, we choose our Mondays. Oh, we choose our Mon- Oh, we choose our Mondays. <laughs> right? It is all a choice. How are we going to attack the week? Are we going to put God first or not? So if we choose that, we choose what hurts and what doesn't hurt. We choose to focus on our pain or we choose to focus on our job ahead of us. We can't go on. We can't go on. Yes, we can go on. Guess what? Everyone has aches and pains. And I dare say others of your coworkers have more than you. And some have less. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. And he will help us press on as Christ followers. Christ desires us to push through the pain with gratitude. There's a reason why God put that pain there in the first place. So we might draw attention to it and so um, possibly fix that problem before it gets worse. That's coming from a young whippersnapper, I know, I know. Um, but maybe when I, if I were to pay attention to the pain now, maybe I won't have it as bad later. Remember, <laughs> I know, I know, just keep laughing. <laughs> Remember, though, you are on display for Christ. And as a Christian, how are you doing as his billboard? How are you doing as his billboard? I have pain, but I continue to work through it. Praise God for a new day, right? I've seen a lot of good examples through that. That's one reason why I picked this, because we do have some good people that push through the daily aches and pains, and they serve. Next, it's one I don't have a problem with. It's envy. You didn't have to laugh that hard, Phil. Come on now. Right. No, I, I'm a very good envious person, as we all can be. And sometimes I, it's, it starts with, they have it, I need it, or I need one too. In reality, it's just, I want that. Whether it's a new model, a new toy, a new tool, or a new do. Maybe it's new makeup, a new body. I want it, they have it, I want it. We justify the buy, or we take it on for our own, which would be worse, right? That'd be, that's also called stealing. So 
we all can get this way, I feel too. We see somebody's got one. Otherwise, why would marketing even work? It goes after our envy, what somebody else has. However, Christ calls us to contentment with the things that we already have. Do we really need a new circular saw when the old one works just fine? But the other one's got the laser on it and yada yada. Do we really need that other shade of pink when we can blend to get that same thing? But it, I wouldn't have to blend that way. I don't know. You're like, how do you even know about blending makeup? I've had a good teacher. We won't go into the details how I know. Um, that's right. That's, we'll stick with that one. My little girl paints my face, yeah. My wife has painted my face before when she was practicing Mary Kay stuff, so that's how I know. I am a youth pastor, and I've gone to church camp. May have may had makeup on then, too. So moving on, finding the joy in the gifts he's already given us, right? Especially in the people around us, right? Finding the joy in the people around us. I think that's one of the biggest things that attracts kids to the youth group right now. They find joy in their friends around them. This is a safe place for them to be. This is a, is a place that they can come and call home, and they have somebody that's going to listen to them and not judge them, and that's exciting. And I want to invite you to come be a part of that as well if you haven't been. Remember, what you think about, you bring about, which I also got from Mary Kay. Obedience starts on day-to-day tasks. And we, when we put the little things into the little things, we can also put the big things into the big things. Another way to say it is you practice how you play, right? We are ready and prepared before those life-defining moments come along, right? We're ready and we're prepared Michael Jordan said, well, how, they asked him, how in the world could you play with such intensity? It's because I practiced with such intensity. And when I practiced how I played, it was easy to play as I practiced. Right? It's the same way in our Christian walk. If you want to be about Jesus Christ when the rubber hits the road and some major life decisions come your way or you are confused with somebody else's major life decisions and they want to change out of them. That's, that's even a harder rubber, let me tell you. As a pastor, I, I've been in that situation before. When somebody else says, Pastor, what's what life worth living? Right? Well, you better have a good exam- answer and it better be better than, well, all things work together for the good of the Lord. Is that true? Yes, it is. But that's not what they want to hear. They want to know somebody cares, right? And if you can care in that moment, it's because you've cared already. Amen? Jesus looks at our opportunities, at our spiritual bindings as opportunities for us to depend on him through obedience. And that means trusting him in the little things. Will you trust him today? How does Jesus respond to his followers' reactions to his death? And then the theft is what they think of his body. 
The next few verses, they narrow down onto Mary's reaction. Let's read those. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw the two white-robed angels, one sitting on at the head and the other at the foot, held the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken my away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Do not cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But I go and, and find my brothers and tell them, I have ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. If you look at the Gospel of John and you look at the details of the other Gospels and you're like, things don't quite fit together until you get John's story on how many times Mary was there, how many times the disciples were there, and it all comes together in a beautiful, wrapped-up story. But the question of the day, why are you crying? She's asked by the angels. She's asked by Jesus. Why are you crying? First, the angels ask this, and I think they're, I kind of wonder if they're a little bit confused. In general, I think every time angels come and they ask us a question, it's because they already know the answer. They know it so well, they don't understand why we don't know it. And I think that's another case in this, because Jesus said it was. Jesus said, this is how it's going to happen. Why didn't you believe him? And maybe they don't have the emotions in it like we do. So I think they're a little confused because they hear it and believe. Sometimes we have to see it and believe, right? So what in your life has taken the Lord away? What in your life has removed that relationship? What worries or concerns are occupying your time or what are occupying your heart that you're not surrendering to him? What is taking your focus off the Lord? Well, they'll judge me. If I go to church like this, they'll judge me. Not at White Rose. I can say that with confidence. If you come as you are at White Rose, you will not be judged. Does that mean we'll leave you in your sin? No. But we will come alongside and help restore you to the creation that he wants you to be. Because that's what he's done for us. He's done that same thing for us, hasn't he not? We're not here to judge in that sense. We're here to restore. Right? When you leave a, if you're working on a wood project and you're restoring it back to its luster, you don't do half the table, do you? Oh, that's good enough. 
I'll just do the legs, you know? They're the only, I mean, the top's just going to get dinged anyway. And guess what? We get dinged all the time, don't we? Right? Yeah, kids, you should see my table at home. We were just looking at that. Well, might be a time for a new one of these. And it might be. But there's also time for restoration, isn't there? There's a time where Jesus comes down and he washes us and he makes us clean. So worries and light and concerns have come and occupied your time or your heart. What has taken your focus off the Lord? Jesus calls you now, much like he did Mary. She didn't recognize him, or she didn't see him quite like she should have, because her eyes, they weren't on him. She just kind of glanced up there, and she focused back on her problem. Where is the body? Where is it at? Jesus asked Mary a very simple question with a very complex meaning, I think. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for, Mary? What depths come with this question? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for a dead man? Are you looking for unkept promises? Remember, I told you this is what was going to happen. Are you looking at things from your point of view? Are you concerned with the problem and not concerned with the solution? If that's so, you're not going to find it here. You're not going to find what you're looking for. Jesus doesn't stick on the problem. Jesus is the solution to the problem. Amen? That's not who I am. I am not the problem in this picture. I am the solution. So the question comes up again. Who are you looking for? She's thinking, my Messiah is dead just, or is, and his body's stolen. Just leave me in peace so I can mourn this horrible tragedy in my own way. Let me do me, as we would say today. Isn't that how we, is that how we respond to tragedy in our lives? Just leave me alone. I need to deal with this myself. Or even worse, God, leave me alone. The pain that you're dealing with, God's shoulders are big enough, they're strong enough to handle all the time, every time, every time, and everyone. And John 10, 3 and 4, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, Jesus has been talked to, right? Has talked to Mary. But when he says... Her name, back to Mary. How does Jesus bring her out of her self-pity? Out of the stupor of doubt? Jesus calls Mary by name. Mary, don't you see? I'm not down there 
in the death, in the grave. I am not there anymore. I've risen. I'm out. Come out with me. Come to new life with me. He calls Mary by name. And oh man, does Mary come alive. Teacher, teacher. And he says, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, but go to my brothers. There's work to be done. I have to go to my father. I have to present myself as holy before a holy God. I have to let him know that I've conquered sin and death. They no longer have hold, a hold on me, and therefore they will no longer have a hold of you. Amen? Wow. Friends, Jesus is calling out your name. He wants to rescue you from yourself. He wants to rescue you from your own strength, from what you think you can do to get by. Because we can't do enough to get by, to get to heaven. Only he can. Only through his righteousness can we overcome, like we sang this morning. He wants to rescue you from yourself. He wants to rescue you from sin. And sin's greatest power on this earth is what? It's death right? That is the result of sin. That's why we die. It's because of sin. Did you know that? Sometimes it's not said that plainly. That's why we die, right? Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death. He is the savior of the world, and he offers each one of us victory in Jesus, my savior, forever. He can be your savior. He's omnipresent. What? That means he can be everywhere, all times, especially in your heart. So we looked at the evidence this morning. We looked at the grave. Think about this. There would have been dust on the floor. There would have been footprints. If somebody came and took Jesus's body, you would have seen Roman soldiers, sandal prints on the ground. You would have seen them. They weren't there. There was two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were at the tomb. They would have seen the dust moved around. They would have seen the grave clothes. Would they have been stuffed into a pile in the corner, or they would have taken it with the body? It doesn't make sense for the cloth to be there. The evidence is clear. It's all right here. Jesus rose from the grave. There's much, much more evidence than those two that I've given you this morning as well. If you need more, read Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It gives a great evidence that Jesus was alive. He wasn't crazy. He was God. He rose from the dead, and he wants to have a relationship with you. So it comes down to this, the way I look at it. You got two options going forward at this point. Option one, remain in unbelief and convince yourself that life is fine and you have nothing to concern yourself with because you're a good enough person. I'm good enough. I'm okay. Right? It's where we live as Americans right there. I'm good enough. If I'm a good enough person, I can get to heaven. Right? That's not true. That's a lie. Or option two, you need to recognize your need for a solution to your problem, to my problem as well, and turn to one who can save you. And that's Jesus Christ. The choice is yours today. 
because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right? Sometimes Jesus chooses to release us from our addictions like that. Sometimes as we struggled into them, we got to struggle out of them. But it doesn't mean that he walked away because we're dealing with those same things, right? We got to walk with Jesus. Right? It's more complicated than that, and it's more simple than that, all at the same time. And if that's something that you want to choose today, option two goes like this. Pray with me. Father God, I have sinned, and I am far away from you. You paid the price for my sin through death of your son, Jesus Christ. I accept your free gift of grace through Jesus Christ today. And I ask that you come into my life today. Forgive me of my sin and give me a new heart filled with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If that's something you've prayed today, then you're a brother and sister in Christ with me. And I want to know about that. And I want to celebrate that. That's what White Rose Fellowship Church is all about. White Rose means new life. We put a white rose up as a symbolism that you received new life in Christ. And if that's something I want to know, I want to know about it because it says if you believe in your heart, which is what you just did, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you tell somebody else, it helps sink it in. It, it sets the nails. So then Christ compounded in through sanctification in his word, right? As we close in prayer, um, that's something I want to do. Um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for what Easter means to us, and we thank you for um, the joy that comes with a relationship with you, Lord. Just because we go through trial, just because we're in the midst of sin, Lord, we still have you to cling to. We still have you to depend on, and you will lift us out of the muck. You will lift us out of the mire, and you will wash our feet off clean our hands, and have a relationship with you, the holy God, the one who's separated from sin, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you for your grace, and I pray that we would be able to walk in faith with a relationship with you. Guide and direct us today. Lead us, direct us as we go throughout this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.